Gospel lesson for today, the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There is a movie that came out back in the 90s, one that I've always loved. It's called Hook. Now, the premise of this movie is that Peter Pan was a real person, and eventually he left Neverland, and he came kind of into the real world, and he grew up, and as he grew up, he forgot who he was, and he ends up fully grown with a a wife and a couple of kids and a job and all of that grown-up stuff, and he's played by the late Robin Williams. Now, I love this movie so, so much. And in the course of the early movie, Captain Hook comes into the real world and kidnaps Peter's children, taking them to Neverland, and so Peter has to follow them. And he meets up with the lost boys, and he's trying to learn, and he's trying to remember. He's trying to become Peter Pan again, even though he doesn't remember any of the stuff that had happened before. And after a lot of time and after a lot of training, he's not really getting anywhere. And all of the lost boys think he's a lost cause. They don't think he's Peter Pan at all. And they draw a line. And the leader says, any of you who think this guy is not for real, you come stand over here with me. And all of them go except for one, the littlest lost boy, who walks up to Peter and he pulls him down to his level. And he takes his glasses off of his face and he's just peering into his face and he's kind of using his hands to smooth out the wrinkles and 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 turning him this way and that way and and pushing a smile up onto his face and then finally finally he recognizes his friend in the face of this grown-up man in front of him and he says oh there you are peter I love this image. I love this scene, this idea that he has to search and search and search for that which is present and yet hidden. And it's this idea of searching that I'm connecting with into our gospel for today. It's all right in there. But before we actually get into that part where the people are searching for Jesus, we need to back up into the setting. And it's a continuation from where we were last week. If you happen to catch our video from last week or we're here in the sanctuary for in-person worship, our, our previous gospel lesson was right before this. And in fact, it's even hinted at. They've been in the synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And there on the Sabbath day, Jesus had encountered a man who was possessed of a demon and he cast out the demon. 
And everyone's amazed at his ability and his authority even over that which is supernatural. And there, it's, it's just this amazing thing. Well, then when their time of gathering is over there on the Sabbath, we hear they leave the synagogue. But they don't leave the town. They go off to Simon or Peter, as we know him. They go off to Peter's home. And there his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And Jesus sees her and takes compassion on her. And we hear he takes her by the hand and he heals her of, of the illness, of the fever, of whatever is causing it, restoring her to fullness. With that, we hear that the fame begins to spread. And that night, the people of the city, they gather around the house. They bring to him all who are sick. He heals many diseases. He casts out more demons. And I can only imagine how late the night went. But once that's all over, he gets a little bit of sleep. We don't even know how much. And then we hear early in the morning, Jesus gets up. And he leaves, the t he leaves the house and he leaves the community and he goes out somewhere into the wilderness. Now, folks, I've been to Capernaum. The setting of it, it's right along the Sea of Galilee. The area around the, around the sea is this lovely rolling hills covered in grass. It's, it's a very, very beautiful place, but it's very, very open. If you're not right there in the community, then yes, there's a lot of open area where Jesus might have disappeared to. And he's, he goes off on his own because he needs this time to pray. He needs this time to connect with, with God the Father, with, with that which is divine, both within him and, and externally. Jesus needs this time. And when the disciples wake up, they realize he's gone, and they go searching for him. Now, we don't know how long it takes them to find him. They might be searching and searching and searching. And maybe when Simon Peter finally sees him, maybe he's just like the boy from, from Hook. And he says, oh, there you are, Jesus. Maybe. But what we actually hear is, Lord, everyone is searching for you. Now, I thought a lot about that. Everyone's searching for Jesus. And I find myself asking the question of why. What is it that they want? What is it that they think they need from Jesus? Now, as we heard the evening before, everyone from the community, and it was a very, a, a very bustling community, a very busy place. Everyone gathered around the home where Jesus was, and he's healing all these diseases, and he's casting out demons. And, and I can only imagine that, that those miracles that they are witnessing both in that as well as what they had seen in the synagogue earlier that day, all of this must make them realize there's something special about this guy, and we want to keep him around. It's good that he's here in our community because then whenever we need that healing, whenever we need that miracle, whenever we want to hear that amazing authoritative teaching that he'd been doing in the synagogue, we'll have it and he'll be here. But not only will he be here for us to benefit us directly, Fame about him is going to spread. We, we hear about that in the gospel, and it does. And everyone's going to hear about it, and they'll all come to our community. I mean, this is a busy place anyway, but everyone will come to our community to try and get a, a healing or to hear this Jesus or to see this Jesus, and that's going to benefit us too. All those extra people coming in, we're going to have to sell them food. We're going to have to sell them a place to stay. All these things, it'll benefit our community. We will benefit from keeping him around. Maybe that's why why they want Jesus to stick around and why they're searching for him. But I think maybe we also begin to see the misconceptions of the people's expectations. Now, one of the things that I talk about a lot is how we are all shaped by our own experience. 
we're all shaped by our own expectations and our own traditions and our own lives to, to understand what we encounter in a certain way. And I cannot fault the people of Capernaum for this. But we even begin to see this misconception in the narration for today. Jesus has just been in the synagogue where he has just cast out a demon. And then immediately he goes off to, to Simon's house and, and does a miraculous healing. And this is all happening on the Sabbath day. Now, what we hear in the narration is that when it's evening and the sun has gone down, that's when the, the crowd, when the, the city, when the community begins to gather around and they ask him to perform these healings again. In the Jewish understanding, the day is over at sundown and the new day begins. For us, you know, it happens at midnight, but in their understanding, when it is sundown, the Sabbath is over, and now work can happen, and now we can have him do these miracles. Jesus has come to show them and us that he's doing something new, that those old rules don't apply, that there's something new at work, and he even showed it to them in their synagogue already that day, but they still don't quite grasp that. And again, I don't fault them for that. It just is a, a way that's being pointed out. So if their misconception of what he has come to do, of what he is susceptible to, and maybe how he might benefit them, I think this is all on display, and that's probably worth noting for us, too. Perhaps we can ask the question as we are looking for Jesus, what is it that we want from him? What is it that we are asking of God when we come before God in prayer or when we anticipate the presence of God in worship or, or in our community? What is it that we are looking for? What is it that we are expecting that maybe isn't going to line up when everything actually happens and when God takes action? I think that's worth noting and that's worth asking the question and being open to God showing up to do a new thing in a new way and not just in the way that we think it's supposed to happen. As I think about all of this, not only what Jesus has done and not only his response and not only the response of the people, but when I think about the way his message and his ministry begins with the proclamation, the kingdom of God has come near. What does that mean? Does that mean that the kingdom of heaven has come near to Capernaum? Does that mean that the kingdom of God has shown up for these four disciples who he has called? Or is it something bigger? Is it something more? Is it something beyond our ability to truly grasp and comprehend? And I think, yes, it is. And Jesus knows this. And it's present in his response. Let's go to the neighboring towns. I didn't come just to be a benefit to these people here. I came for all people. And we hear that he travels around Galilee and he's preaching in their, their synagogues and he's performing miracles. And we know he's not limited to there. We know he continues to travel around the entire region. And sometimes he crosses over to the sea to the other side. And sometimes he's down in Jerusalem. He's all over the place. And he reminds us that whatever it is that he is doing, whatever it is that God is accomplishing, it is bringing the kingdom of heaven near to us in a way that frees us from that which hinders us. That is the bigger picture. And I think it goes far beyond our ability to grasp or understand or put our finger on this is the way it's gonna look. We continue to see, or I continue to come back to this idea, everyone is searching for you. Everyone is looking for you, probably for their own reasons. But maybe Jesus is flipping it on, this whole thing on its ear. 
As I think about all of this, I'm reminded of another passage of scripture. It's actually found in a couple of the other gospels, and it's a batch of parables that we hear together. Jesus speaks these parables about something that's lost. We hear about a shepherd with 99 sheep and one is lost, so the shepherd goes to look for it. We hear about a woman with 10 coins and one is lost, so she searches and searches and searches until she finds it. And we hear about a father with two sons and they're both somehow lost to him and he goes looking for them. So just like the people are looking for Jesus, I think he's reminding us that as the kingdom of God comes near, it is God who is doing the searching for us. Now there's a wonderful hymn. It's my favorite hymn. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And this is a reminder for us that whatever it is that God was doing, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's empowered through the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus. Now, again, I can't explain how all this works, but the promise has been made that the same Holy Spirit, which rested upon Jesus in his baptism that happened just before this whole situation in Mark's gospel, that same Holy Spirit also rests upon us, connects us, resides within us. This is something that amazes me over and over again, when I think about the presence of the Holy Spirit, which unites us and binds us and resides within us, you are a temple of the divine. You house or you contain the presence of God. I don't know how it works, but it's there. It's in our very essence. It's in our very lives, the the spark of life that's within us. We can even breathe in and say the name Yahweh, the name of God. Yahweh. You are a presence of the divine. It is with you, it is within you, and it unites all of us into this kingdom of God. We don't need to go searching for Jesus. We don't need to go searching for God because God has already found us. This whole thing is flipped on its ear. And the promise is that somehow this is already done. I hope and I pray that we can find joy and peace in that, in knowing that we have already been connected into that which is bigger than we are, into the body of Christ, into the action of God in the world. The redemption of all of this is already done, even in the moments when it doesn't feel like it. May we cling to that truth. May we hold on to that promise. May we recognize that God is up to something even if it doesn't show up in the way that we expect. And even in the times when it doesn't feel like it, we are still connected to one another, but more importantly, connected to the one who made us all in the first place. Amen.